Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. Hold your fire, it's just another escape pod. <laughs> I'm having awful sorts of problems, technical problems here today. I'm losing my microphone. Give me a second while I slot this, slot this fella back in. There we go, done. Our podcast title is Hold Your Fire, It's Just Another Escape Pod, which I think... <laughs> <laughs> we got there. We got there. Did you miss any of that, folks? It's episode one two six eight or THX one two six eight. I am Rob Jan and Megan McHugh. <laughs> she says with no in no uncertain terms. Thank you to the room of the viewers. And uh, yeah, here we are. It's because we're a bit um, before our time today. We are back to the future today at twelve midday. Yes, indeed. For zero G, running through till two o'clock, and we're very close to Christmas. And you know what that means. Yeah. After a quarter century of listening to Zero G, be afraid. Be very afraid. <laughs> okay. Uh, what are we going to look at today? All sorts of things. Knives out. Loads. Yes. Knives out. I think we've got a trailer to look at. Mm-hmm. The Wonder Woman one. Yes. The Wonder Woman trailer. I'm going to do a little bit of a brief intro to The Witcher, which mm-hmm. is now on Netflix. Oh, I've watched an episode. Oh, you did. Excellent. We can yep. have a discussion. I think it would be good because you will have no context. <laughs> I have no and, idea. And uh, I think, yes, we'll delve into that. And also, of course, Star Wars Episode 9. 954. Yes, the ri- Roman numerals of some description. The rise. Skywalker. The rise of Skywalker. <laughs> so I think we do, we'll do non-spoilers for that. Um, or what do you think? Well, Let's you know, decide. I mean, I mean, Darth Vader was Luke's father. <laughs> that's, that's just screwed the whole thing for everybody. Uh, we'll probably look, have a look at uh, The Mandalorian. We may have a little jaunt with a book, uh, Kim Newman's newest Anno Dracula ah. uh, book, which is called um, Daikaiju 1999. Um, so, you know, there's a few things that we're going to have a look at today. We've but got plenty to keep us going. Yeah, oh, indeed. And we're also going to play our obligatory evil Christmas track. So we'll kick off that with the main title from the Adams Family movie, one of my favourite Christmas movies. And a little bit of a radio warning from uh, Mike Theo's Zombie Christmas, which has some naughty words in it. Mm. Mm. Triple R. Aye. Mark Shaman's The Adams Family main title theme and radio warning from Mike Puxio's Zombie Christmas. And here we are on the edge of the apocalypse. It always seems like that in Australia at Christmas, doesn't it? Yeah. Rob Jan here. And Megan McHugh. Two hours of Zero G. Yeah. (laughs) I can hear hear the crickets then. (laughs) The zombie crickets. All right. Now, I think um, we uh, mentioned... um, Something last week, we sort of prepped it and we didn't get really time to go into it. We Uh, wanted to give it the proper time. Yes, and that was Knives Out. Mm. The, uh, what would we call that? Um, Detective? uh, Um, 
Sort of like it is a bit of a satire. It is a satire. I think it's also very one of those like tongue-in-cheek kind of... Mm. It's very much using a template of murder mystery films and ideas Mm. and kind of playing off of that as well. And this is one of your areas of expertise. (gasps) I was very (laughs) delighted. This isn't a spoiler. But I was very delighted that in one scene they're watching Murder, She Wrote, which I was like, I grew up watching that. Um, maybe that's problematic, but um, Love Murder, She Wrote, and obviously there's, they, you know, reference a couple like Clue and things like that. Um, but yes, as also a big Agatha Christie fan, this was very much of interest to me. It was a great big house in a small, not a small town, well, more or less, mm. uh, in, in the US. And um, it's, that's that's the classic setting, isn't it, really, yes. for... For, for a murder mystery. And I also love a good family kind of, um, what would you say, like a family drama ensemble kind of fights and mm. controversy and different relationships and finding out about how the family operates and how messed up everyone is. It's sort of one of those as well, which is and, great. And then the director kind of ties in with our Star Wars theme for later in the show. It's Ryan Johnson. Yes. As he did The Last Jedi in 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, and a film, a neo-noir film called Brick. Yes, more pertinently, I think Brick is sort of a predecessor to his work here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Brick is... You've seen it, right? No, actually, I haven't seen you it. You should definitely watch it. It is a really, really good film. Okay. And he did it on very little money. And I think I read somewhere that he edited it like on his MacBook or something like that. <laughs> and it's sort of a noir, but it's set in a high school. And mm. so it uses a lot of those noir tropes. Like they speak noirish, and it uses all of those kinds of... Um, cliches, but to solve this kind of teenage mystery. Holy Veronica Mars. It's, but it's much more serious. It's much played much more serious than that mm. as well. So I would say it's, um, I definitely, I'd be keen to hear your thoughts on it actually. And Ryan Johnson also did Looper. Yes. Another great sci-fi. A very good science fiction film. So. And of course those uh, three episodes of Breaking Bad that he directed Some as of well. the best you could argue. Yeah. Fly, 51 and Ozymandias. Mm. Awesome stuff there. So, you know, with that in mind, and although I didn't really like Last Jedi for a lot of reasons. <laughs> Let's not go into that argument right now. No, we'll yes. do that later. <laughs> <laughs> Let's save that for the Star Wars portion of the show. Okay. I, I think that just, just generally, I think that Knives Out is a very good and clever riff on the, the whodunit trope. Yes. You know, really, he has he has nailed it to the mm. wall with a dagger. Mm, mm, several mm. daggers in this one. And it is, there's a lot of comedy here, I think. Um, And there's definitely, I do think while there's an underlying social commentary happening, which is fairly um, explicitly (laughs) woven into the story, Mm. and it gets a little explicit towards the end in that some characters just out and out say what the subtext is, I still think that it's nice to have that layer because I do think in this day and age a lot of the best movies that are working in genre have a kind of social commentary element that they're trying to make very clear that that's really what we're talking about here. Yeah. Yeah, the um, socio-political commentary in this is very, very arch. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, as I said, set in a, in a large uh, mansion. Mm. Um, a forbidding mansion. A family have gotten together for a uh, – is it a Christmas party or something? Birthday party. Birthday party, that's yes. right. The the uh, the 80th birthday? Of the patriarch of the, patriarch, the family. Which, of course, is Christopher Plummer. Yes, and you know that's that's just pretty much setting it up right then and there. And he's, I think, he's <laughs> such a delightful actor. I really like Christopher Plummer. Oh yes, yes, I, I've liked him 
forever because <laughs> he's been around forever. He has. You know, the highlight of his career, of course, was playing General Chang in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. I mean, that's what he's known for, right? <laughs> yeah. Actually, he's been in a couple of these murder mysteries um, spoofs and stuff throughout the years. Well, he's got he's got a great look for it as well. Yeah. And I think it's obviously – I mean, I think he plays this role with – I think they're all having a good time here. Now, Ryan Johnson, who is another one of those people who I would not like Scooby-Doo to have a crack <laughs> at saying his name. Um, actually, the Scoobies would be really good in this setting. Uh, he um, – also wrote this, so he's, yeah, he's authored yeah. the whole thing. And he clearly knows the kind of source material that he's mm. pulling from. Like, yeah, he's, mm. he's, he knows his stuff. Mm. Um, the cast is just splendid in this, uh, the, the, the large extended family. We've got Chris Evans, really feisty after, after yes. casting aside Captain America's Mighty Shield. <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis. Yes. Um, as one of the uh, the the family members, uh, Michael Shannon. Yeah, the the horribly underrated Michael Shannon. Don Johnson. There's a name from the past. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's uh, thrown over Miami's Miami Vice. Uh, Tony Collette. I will watch her mm. reading a phone book. She's having fun here too. I think I th- I like when she takes these roles where she can just be a bit. Fun and silly, and they throw in some um, some some really odd uh, cameos. Uh, Frank Oz, yeah, <laughs> playing a lawyer, and um, Joseph Joseph Gordon Levitt gets a voice cameo. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. So I think the whole um, well, because they have an ongoing because um, yeah. Joseph Gordon Levitt was in both Looper and Brick. Yeah, and Catherine Langford as well too. Yeah, from Thirteen Reasons Why, mm-hmm. and the kid from I think his name's Jaden something from. Um, it. Mm. He played Bill in It. Mm. He's he's one of the characters as well. Uh, and also uh, Lakeith Stanfeld playing um, a detective. Oh, and of course Daniel Craig. Yes, our centre sleuth, Daniel Craig. Playing, uh, is it Benoit? Benoit Blanc. Benoit, Benoit? I don't know ben- how to Benoit say it. Benoit Blanc. Ben. Yes. Who's the, uh, a private detective. And mm. he's he's like standing in for Hercule Poirot or yep. um, yep. Miss Marple. The or... slight, yeah, the slightly oddball detective um, I think he was really good in this. With a southern accent. Questionable accent. Uh, actually, I, I asked somebody, I asked um, a friend of mine over in the US about that accent. Who actually? And is it accurate? He said he said it was a pretty good try and, and thankfully he didn't send it up. Um, you can go too far. Yes. But he yeah. didn't do that. So he said, yeah, it was all right. <laughs> That's the thing too. I think sometimes with accents, we think they sound fake, but they're actually probably more mm. accurate than not. Mm. I don't know. Anyway. He, I think he was great in this. Yeah. I like when Daniel Craig plays fun roles. I actually think this is one of his best roles. He's, yeah, he's great in it. Yeah. I like when he shows off comedy chops as well. Yes, yes, that's true. Uh, and Anna, Anna um, and, and, and I've left, we've done all that through there um, because the best for last, mm. Anna de Armas, who is playing a key pivotal role. She's playing uh, Christopher Plummer's nurse yes. in this. Uh, and she is the most important character. She's wonderful in this. She is terrific. Uh, I just thought she she nailed the entire role all the way through. So she deserves the, 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 the biggest credit of all for this. I'm not sure I've um, – I have seen her before. Uh, she's yes. in Blade Runner 2049. Playing the holographic computer program. Yeah. She's, <laughs> she hasn't done very much. She was also in a very bad movie with Keanu Reeves. Um, but she got a Globe nomination for this role. Mm. And – I, I would like to see her do a lot more things. I think she's very Well, she's going to play uh, Marilyn Monroe in Blonde. Oh, 
interesting. Uh, and also, she is she was, in June? No, no, um, no. But she was um, in No Time to Die with um, Daniel Craig. Ah, so you know. Oh, yeah. that's right. Yeah, she's coming up in the next Bond. Mm. So um, we'll see her in that too. But oh my gosh, she has. Um, she's got this role that would be that, that's almost like. Um, it's the person I identify most with in mm. this movie, mm, really, mm, mm, mm. to say say the least. She's a um, uh, she's a daughter of an illegal immigrant, and she is in the role that would normally be reserved for the maid, but she's not the mm. maid. She's a nurse. She's a fully qualified um, nurse, possibly a th- physiotherapist as well. I'm, I'm not mm. quite sure. All those things, and um, she is at once the, the the beating heart of this movie. Yeah, and also partly. The MacGuffin as well. Yeah, I agree. In I mystery think terms. they build. He builds a very interesting story around her and around some of the central ideas about haves and have-nots, which is a theme that we're seeing a lot lately. Mm. Um, as someone who just saw Parasite again, <laughs> as well. Yeah, um, remind, Parasite reminded me of this a lot. Mm, I think that um, all of that is deliberate choices, and I think that she is a very em- like you really empathise with her. Um, and if you've seen the movie, I think that that is a very interesting feat as mm. well. So look, it's 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 not not a mystery that when this family gets together for the birthday, there's there's going to be a murder. Yes, and then there's going to be an investigation mm-hmm. that will spiral completely out of the control. The clever part of the murder investigation, I shall not reveal. Yes, uh, because that's the very interesting riff on the, the whole and who it done it thing. Does certainly take roads that I wasn't expecting. I went into this kind of expecting a paint-by-numbers yeah. type of whodunit, which the, I was fine with. And I thought it would be more funny in terms of that. There would be yeah. more send-up. Well, I think some of the marketing is sort of shown that leaning more towards like a Clue farcical kind of. Mm. And Clue's one of my favourite films, so one of that kind of. But it, it did lean more towards um, it's taking on some of the stylistic approaches, but it took a much more straight mm. line. Um, and I do think it was quite interesting the directions it took, and that was it surprised me in some ways, which I liked. Although I was very proud that I figured out some of the uh, some final of the... solution. Oh, that's a poor term. That's a really poor that's term for, term yeah. to use. Some of the uh, the I figured out some of the mystery elements mm-hmm. um, before it was revealed. So I felt like all of my years of reading Agatha Christie and watching Murder She Wrote had paid off. So the the, the denouement was not as surprising as it might have been. For you? There were some elements that I hadn't picked, but I did yeah. pick some of the stuff. So I, I was very smug about it afterwards. <laughs> I love Chris Evans in this. He is, he's uh, he's just playing against type partly. It's refreshing to see him do that too after. Yeah. I think that's probably deliberate choice as well. Oh, absolutely. He's, he's perfectly cast in this. Yeah. Because oh, I can't tell you too much about that, but there's a, it's a good reason for casting Chris Evans in yeah. particular. Yeah, I think. Um, oh, there's some business it's with well uh, there's some business with dogs in this because um, there there are hounds yes. who live on the the estate. Of course. Uh, and Chris Evans is a big dog person. Yeah. You know, yes, just, I've seen those videos. Yeah, you've seen them. <laughs> and he's narrated that uh, that um, uh, service dog. Uh, oh, um, pick of the litter. Yeah. Did he do that? No. no. It was a different one. Yeah, it was on an IMAX. Yeah. Okay. But but to get dogs to jump up on it up on him and, and appear like they didn't like him, he had to have their treats and his toys in his pockets. Oh. <laughs> that was so cool. Super powered dogs. Super powered dogs. Right. Yeah. And. Um, yeah, I mean, just everybody else. Tony Collette does this wonderful sort of uh, not entirely airheaded um, uh, uh, new age marketer. Yeah. 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 We're sending up a few kind few? of societal Gross. streams right now, like alt right. Um, oh, yeah. Kind of uh, 
online troll stuff. Mm-hmm. We're also, you know, left, left, you know, kind of quote unquote social justice warrior stuff. I even thought that the the small the minor roles in this were so well played they were deftly sketched in mm. so you got just enough of the character and the, and the more uh, meaty roles like Michael Shannon's um, uh, he's one of is he a son or a grandson I can't remember he's a uh, son a son yeah of the uh, Christopher Plummer character and he's got uh, Christopher Plummer is a um, a mystery writer yes. in this filthy rich yep best-selling, Linda LaPlante sort of level kind yeah, of. Yeah, probably like you across between Stephen King, Agatha Christie kind of level. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's pretty accurate actually. Um, and he hasn't lived in misery <laughs> no. throughout his life and, and the house is absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. And, and Michael Shannon... It's a great set. Oh, it's beautiful. The uh, the decor is um, uh, circus, uh, circus and... Magic act, mm. uh, paraphernalia and memorabilia. It's cool. It's very <laughs> cool. In fact, uh, my partner Gail and I, we looked at each other and you could just say, That's, here's our, our decorating <laughs> yeah, yeah. theme. Here's our inspiration. Here's our inspiration. So it is a little bit Adam's family actually. Mm. The house is a museum. Well, let's give you a track here yes. from Nathan Johnson. Uh, I think this is the, the family is called the Thromby family, uh, which is kind of like our Thromby Zombie Christmas, really. Uh, and it's by Nathan Johnson, who's worked with, um, uh, obviously, with Ryan Johnson before. Um, is he related? Yeah, yeah, his brother, is I'm his pretty brother? sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Duh. I mean, no, well, I mean, Johnson is, it could easily have not been related, but I think I did read somewhere that it's his brother. Yeah, and he's done work on, um, on the other uh, uh, Johnson movies, of course, and uh, also worked with um, um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. So you know. Oh no, that, sorry, it's his cousin. It's his cousin. Well, it's his cousin. I suppose it's it's all in the family in this movie anyway. <laughs> so we'll give him give you the uh, the Fromby family. Hi everyone, this is Richard Dean Anderson, Brigadier General Jack O'Neill, and on behalf of my family and all the personnel at Stargate Command, I'd like to congratulate the men, the women aliens, and elves of NORAD for 50 years of tracking Santa Claus. Merry Christmas to one and all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mr. Johnson's uh, Thromby family. From... It's a lovely little... It is, isn't it? Beautiful thing. soundtrack. Yeah, it's, I think it didn't quite hit as many of those whodunit-esque notes, but I actually think it's a really good score. I kind of like... Um... The fact that there's a lot of jazz in it because it feels like it's, it, it feels like they are sort of noodling along in jazz mode at yeah, times. Yeah. When it actually, of course, it's extremely carefully plotted and yes. crafted and paced. I would say it made some pacing decisions. I was like, "What's going to happen now?" But then I was into it. Like that, it was it unfolded beautifully. I found myself watching Knives Out and following these little um, strands through it, like mm. uh, like there's a baseball. Mm, and, yes. I, and I followed the progression of the baseball for yeah, the movie. Yeah, what? and it becomes kind of pivotal towards the end. There's yeah. some reveal stuff, and yeah, I don't know. That's so clever. I actually, this is one that I want to get out on DVD and watch. I'd again. like to watch it again. I think mm. in that, I mean, it's enjoyable for one, but mm. also, yeah, just to have a look at some of the stuff. But this, this has in fact made um, uh, my film of the year list. Mm. Films, films Same. of the year. Agreed. Um, so it's definitely a recommended one for yeah, listeners. So. And it is out now in, in general release. Yes. Yep. Uh, and, you know, just to see so many great actors in there. Oh, my, um, um, 
uh, Michael Shannon plays uh, Christopher Plummer's um, son who is a a literary agent Mm. handling Plummer's character's uh, work. And so he's got lots of reasons to... Uh, everybody, yeah. Everybody has a motive in this for, for murder. Exactly. <laughs> Except for one character, and we can't tell you about that. <laughs> or maybe two, actually, can't think of it. Oh, that's... Uh, yeah. the, the dogs are innocent. <laughs> <laughs> You've given it away. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, yeah, uh, definitely recommend. On the socio-political commentary, because, mm. um, because uh, the... Uh, the, um, the 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 nurse character. Uh, she is the daughter of an illegal immigrant. In this, and it's, this is a big deal in the United States. Yeah. Um, uh, playing, she's playing Marta Cabrera. Cabrera. Oof, um, there are some uncomfortable scenes. There as are well. some very that just uncomfortable made me want to absolutely cringe. And one one scene, yeah. um, which I will give away slightly. Because uh, it's a very, very minor thing, but it speaks volumes. Apart from the fact that they can never get her country of origin right. Mm. Never. None of them. None of them are able to do that. Mm, yeah. At one stage, um, they're sitting around and they motion for the nurse to come this over. This is the scene I'm thinking of as well. Come yeah. over and join their little circle because you're part of the family too. Ho, ho, you know. <laughs> and, and one of them casually hands her his empty dessert plate. Oh, I didn't notice that. You didn't that. notice that? No. It's a very subtle thing. That's very clever. She just hands it back to her. Yeah. She's not a maid. She's yeah. a nurse. Oh, gross. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But then, I mean, the, yeah. Oof, yeah. <laughs> it's done. There's a lot. There's overt stuff and there's subtle stuff. I think I would have liked slightly less overt stuff, but I also get that you want to make sure that everybody's getting the message you're putting out there. So, yeah. You know. Yeah. So an excellent film, Knives Out, by Ryan Johnson, director, mm-hmm. with a fine cast, a Brilliant great cast. score. Um, I wouldn't see it if you were too tired, like in the, <laughs> because you really do need your wits about you for this one. Yeah, I think I think it's a great one to see in sort of the holiday season between mm-hmm. that, the, the dead space between Christmas and New Year's, if you yeah. toddled off and... Slip into that instead of one of the big Boxing Day films. I think that you'd have a good time. So unless unless you happen to like the undead space between Christmas and New Year, I love that. I mean, you don't know what time it is or day <laughs> day drink. Let's give you a bit of speaking of Star Wars actors. Mm. Sir Christopher Lee with Jingle Hell from his A Heavy Metal Christmas Two single. <laughs> This is Neil Gaiman in the dangerous alphabet zero. G comes last. Z waits alone, and it's not for a thing. Hmm, Mr. Uh, Mr. Christopher Lee, there with um, <laughs> Jingle Hell. Jingle Hell in his heavy metal album. I very much like that. Very much. <laughs> now uh, we are looking at a television show. Yes, we are going to take a look at The Witcher, which I have been eagerly anticipating um, since I found out about it was a thing. Uh, It's on Netflix, so it's a Netflix original series um, and it stars Henry Cavill as the title character or titular character, if you will, of Geralt of Rivia. The eponymous character. Yes, yes, exactly. And so... The Witcher is the TV series has aligned itself. It's one of these like the shining kind of things. It's aligned itself more with the books. Um, they've talked a bit about how they really want to go because it's originally a fantasy series. Mm-hmm. It was also adapted into a game series by the same name um, of which I have played The Witcher 3, The Wild Hunt, which I really like. So books, games. Games. And then now we've got this show 
Um, and it's this show also has the involvement of the author. And so they're kind of trying to really go along. I mean, the games also follow the books, but I think it's one of those things where they really want to try to align themselves more with the narrative of the books, which mm-hmm. I've not read. So um, we've got eight episodes available to us on Netflix, all available at once, and it did come out on uh, the 20th. Now, it's a fantasy series. So it is. So there's magic involved. Yes, and it's based – the book series is by a Polish author called Andrzej Sapkowski. Where is the film – the series set? It seems to be uh, filmed in Europe. Yeah, I would say it's probably maybe filmed somewhere like Budapest or somewhere near there, mm-hmm. maybe Eastern Europe. Um, we could find out. Yeah, we but could. it's uh, the showrunner is Lauren Schmidt Heisrich. Ah. And she has worked on a few other genre things as well. Um, she worked on things like The West Wing and so on, but she did also work on The Defenders and Daredevil and The Umbrella Academy oh. in terms of genre content. Um, and, yeah, so she's sort of heading up this original series. And I did notice in the credits of the series that it does seem to be a lot of involvement um, – there is a lot of European involvement, like a lot of the actors are maybe European. So it's they're not really going down a let's just cast a bunch of Americans and do it our way. I think they're really trying to make it a bit more of an international thing. It's um in, in that regards, it's it's easy to draw Game of Thrones parallels. Yeah, I mean it's a sort of an epic fantasy series. There's a lot of different things to unpack in terms of what the world is consisted of. Um, and I'd actually be interested to hear your thoughts on how you felt about it going in. So you've watched one episode, right? Yeah, I have. Uh, well, it, it takes place in a place called The Continent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's <a> very... <laughs> Westeros, if you yeah, will. Very, very inventive. <laughs> yep. Uh, and, in fact, you wouldn't you wouldn't be mistaken if you felt like it was actually just a new house. <laughs> 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 you know? so, um, Henry Cavill is playing this guy, uh, Geralt of... Geralt. Geralt of Rivia. He's he's basically straight off the cover of um, a fantasy romance novel. Mm-hmm. Long blonde hair. But um, he's more rugged than that. You make it sound like he's, <laughs> you know, got an open billowing white shirt, which sometimes he sometimes does. Sometimes he does. <laughs> but he's sort of, he's definitely more edgy because he's also yeah. kind of um, a bit of a pariah. Yeah, he's a, he's a, a mutant, which mm. means that he can wield magic. Humans can't do that. Uh, as far as I can tell in this series so far. Uh, when we first see him, he's fighting a big spidery monster in a pond. Yep. Um, and this is what he does. He's a monster hunter. Yes. Uh, because there's not, not many other lines of work for the for the mutants. Uh, and of course, and, and they're richly rewarded for their service to mankind, aren't yes. they? No, I... they? They are not. <laughs> I remember when I was playing the games, I used to do a couple of the quests like out of the goodness of my heart. And then I realized quickly that no, I should be taking the money that they were offering me. Um, but yes, so he has a couple of swords that he uses, one on monsters, one for other things. Um, and he does have powers and things, which in what I've seen, he's not used very much yet. So, And he, he, he talks to his horse a lot because nobody else will talk to him. <laughs> Roach. I was very pleased that Roach appeared in practically the first scene. Um, there's, a, there's a great little moment in that, in that first scene where he's fighting the spider creature in, in the bog or whatever. Mm. Um, uh, there, there's limbs thrashing about everywhere. Yeah. And, and the horse just takes a couple of prudent steps backwards. Yeah. Roach <laughs> like... is such a good horse. <laughs> uh, I was right. They did film in Hungary. Yeah. And they also filmed in Canary Islands and a castle in Poland. Mm. So, yeah. Anywho. Uh, 
alongside um, Henry Cavill is uh, who's obviously still um, wearing his post his Superman buffness. Yeah, obviously. I think they keep saying the characters keep saying he should buy some new clothes, and I'm looking at him thinking. There's nothing wrong with what he's wearing. Well, I feel Do like they it's, smell. Yeah. <laughs> Do they smell? Or? Maybe. Well, he smells like onions, apparently. Um, I think really? that he. Oh, you've only seen one episode, right? Yeah. Um, he. There was a bit of controversy around his casting because you know he's sort of known as that kind of pretty boy with a dimple chin. Mm. Um, but he is a big fan of the books and he's a big fan of the source material. And I think that he, I mean, he's doing a Geralt voice in this. He's kind of doing the Batman thing where he's doing a little growl, but I actually think he scrubs down quite well (laughs) to be quite a good Geralt. Um, I was actually pretty happy with how he, how he looked and how he carried himself here. Actually, speaking of looks, I like the look of the show. The costumes are, are quite interesting. Yeah. I was going to say, what do you think about kind of that world-building set costume mm. elements? Nice, nice, actually. It's it's a little bit exotic. Mm. Part of it is is that, that usual sort of standard... Um, uh, cod armor that we get in these fantasy shows, yeah. But it, but it looks all right, and people t- seem to forget all those studs on that leather uh, jerkin that he's wearing. Mm-hmm. They're actually holding metal plates in place under the under the leather, so yeah. he actually is wearing it's armor. Functional, yeah. yeah. It's not just metal studs are providing the armor. Yeah. Everyone always forgets that in these things. <laughs> Uh, whether or not they actually put that on underneath the costume, I doubt it. But, yes, but, yeah, know. Uh, and. The uh, the sword play looks um, suitably theatrical. Yes, they really kick it up a notch towards the end of the first episode with a bit of action. Mm-hmm. So that was good. I've only watched. I haven't even watched two episodes yet. Mm. Um, I'm not going to commit to an opinion just yet. Uh, their their bigger battle tactics is a there's a. A fairly large um, engagement in the first episode yes. was just rubbish. <laughs> it's like, yeah. okay, we've got our cavalry here our, with our um, our element of mobility, yeah. and we're just going to sit and basically charge a little bit. We're just going to basically accept the charge of an uh, it was massed infantry. Almost irrelevant to even have that. Yeah, they you know they they shouldn't even bother with horses. They should have been on foot. Yeah, you know. So, but they're. There's just stuff that they should have done that, you know. The armour looked pretty good. They actually had a woman in wearing armour that didn't mm. look too much more different than a bloke's armour, mm. which is pretty good as well. Um, you know, there wasn't all this red Sonia bikini stuff. Um, <laughs> they probably, they, you know, so they're, they're queuing off. People want something a bit more gritty. Yes, yes, yes fantasy yes. shows at the moment. More so mud, more dirt, more more, more questionable decisions and anti-heroes. Yes, um, Look for the first. I got to say for the first fifteen minutes because I don't. This is I, I always find this with fantasy shows, mm. um, and often books too, because I don't know any of the names. Yes, it's gibberish. I was going to say to you, how did you feel going in with very little knowledge of the source material? Was it very unclear what was going on, or the sorcery material? Well, look, techno babble I get in science fiction. Mm. I can I can listen to that all day and understand it, but magic gabble not so much. Yeah, you know so. Uh, I, but I, I, I picked it up as I went along. I, it pretty, pretty much became obvious that everyone wants to kill mm. Gerald <laughs> for reasons of their own. going about his business. He just wants to, you know. Yeah, yeah. This is like, you know, he can't walk down the street with people wanting to stone him to death, mm. um, which, of course, he doesn't. He's invulnerable, man of steel. Mm. Um, it's obvious that this is taking a... a, a, a a fig leaf out of Game of Thrones nudity book. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be everywhere in this. And I read somewhere about some of the early Witcher games that they are really quite sexist. 
Yeah. And, you know, like he sleeps with somebody and they and, and you get a reward of a uh, a pin-up card. <laughs> Something basically that. Oh, but, I don't know about that. But they've evolved a bit from then apparently. Yeah, so. so I've only played the third game, which is arguably the best game. Is that the Wild Hunt? Yes. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. So, um, I mean, and you know, there's a lot of sexy stuff. Like they really, I mean, he's designed for that. Like there's something yeah. on a horse. He's always taking baths. Um, it's but, a bit Ladyhawk actually. Yeah, yeah, a little bit Ladyhawk. Got a big sword. He's got the horse. Yeah, well, he's um, got two swords. He's gonna. That's right. He's gonna look up because they do make a point of him fighting. Oh, I can't remember what the word was. Uh, it's a French word where you're fighting with two swords. <laughs> yeah, because he has a silver that. sword, which is his special uh, monster sword. Yeah. So I think that. Yeah, I mean. It's a bit tamer. It is still, I mean, there's some gore, but I still think it's much tamer than something like Game of Thrones thus far. I'd say it probably leans more towards a a more mainstream type of fantasy there's uh, a, execution, I think. There's a, there's a couple of um, uh, two... Uh, a couple of strands running through that first episode. Of course, there's his strand. Mm-hmm. There's also um, uh, a sorceress who he's going to run into in this. Mm-hmm. Who seems a bit throwaway, actually, even though it's played by um, mm. pretty decent actress. Uh, and there's also this other strand of um, he's going to end up being, I think, the protector of a uh, a princess who's fleeing her kingdom. Yes. That's just yeah. been invaded by orcs, basically. <laughs> yeah, and I think you get even more story threads coming through in the second episode. We see some more characters, the infamous characters from the game slash book. Um, and so they'd spend a bit of time building. I think it'll be interesting if you if you do watch any more. I think there's a bit of a tonal shift in the second episode, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't sure about it. So, well, this is the thing. The dread thing about Netflix shows are only eight episodes. Yeah, every every episode is precious. It's just eight hours, and it's like a couple of movies worth. And I think, well, maybe. So I'll, I'll try and give it. I mean, after all, you know, um, you got a good eye for these things. So I'll give it a shot under your recommendation. Yeah, if you I think, think it's going somewhere. I'd like to see. I, I'll watch it all, and I think at the end of the day, it will either be eh, or it'll be amazing. Mm. I don't think there'll be a risk that necessarily that I'll be hideously upset by it. Well, you know, when we um, set out to watch um, Chilling uh, Tales oh, yeah. of Sabrina. And you ended up loving that. I love that. So, yeah. <laughs> that's... just bounce through all of that. Yeah. So I think, I mean, look, we'll see. I think Netflix has also given them clearly a bit of creative freedom to do what they want with this. Mm. So hopefully, we'll, we'll see how we go. So maybe we can uh, touch on this again in the future. Hmm. So now being in a warm and fuzzy and, and festive mood um i think we'll play post-apocalypse christmas mm-hmm. uh, by gruff riss and this is from atheist christmas this is george romero and i wouldn't be caught dead listening to zero g on three triple r fm hmm. post-apocalypse Christmas there with uh, Gruff Reese, sorry, Gruff Reese. Atheist Christmas was the album or single in that case. Here on Zero G and our two-hour... Extravaganza. Happy Holidays <laughs> special. So we'll also be doing that next week too, uh, but not Christmas, mm-hmm. um, for uh, New Year's. So there you go. Uh, 
Extra hours of zero G for your mm. holiday cheer. Yeah, or jeer. <laughs> holiday jeer. Hang your Christmas mocking up now. <laughs> That's one of my favourite things to do at Christmas. You know how those traditions that you have? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, one of them is to um, um, go through a, uh, a shopping mall car park, a crowded one, jangling my keys, <laughs> watching the tail of cars pile up behind me as people hopefully going, are you going to... You're to your awful. <laughs> and I don't drive. <laughs> uh, as, as, as you may know from listening to Zero G for far too long, people out there. <laughs> uh, my, my partner's name is Gail Adams and we are the Adams family of Christmas. <laughs> All right. Now, uh, looking at a book here. And I wanted to intro it a bit with um, a track called Die Hard Christmas. You know how they say mm. it doesn't feel really like Christmas until Hans Gruber falls off the Nakatoma Plaza? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, here's someone who's done a whole song about that, Insane Ian from The Thump, which <laughs> is a, a beautiful uh, anthology series of all sorts of comic and satirical hits. And in this case, it's Die Hard Christmas. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R, exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. Yippee Kaye, Space Cadets. That's Die Hard Christmas from Insane Ian from The Fump, F U M P, Volume 60 from 2016. Some of those were hard rhymes. Yeah, I think that was. That was pretty clever. Yeah, awesome. So we're waiting for Hans Gruber to fall from the plaza. (laughs) Oh, dear. Okay. Now, uh, here on Zero G for our two-hour treasons greetings, as Donald um, Trump would (laughs) call it. Ooh, I like that one. (laughs) (laughs) That's the meme, isn't it? Is it happy impeachment? Or merry well, impeachment. Yet to be seen. I'll, I want to uh, see the, the next steps uh, before I get too excited. Because I wouldn't want to offend anyone. <laughs> <laughs> We're not uh, out of the woods just yet. It, I, I think it's the greatest impeachment, the bigliest impeachment ever. Yeah. <laughs> and I look forward to having a, an impeached trifle <laughs> at Christmas too. I love trifle. Mm. But before we trifle with Donald Trump's confections... We're back on Zero G and we're talking about a book which is kind of um, Christmassy because uh, as we were talking about before, it does, uh, it does take place in that, um, that very interesting uh, sloshy space between Christmas and New Year. It's uh, Kim Newman's new Anno Dracula book. Mm. Anno Dracula 1999 Daikaiju. Which, of course, you will know that Kaiju means uh, monster. Monster. And Daikaiju means bloody big monster, ginormous mm. monster, uh, which means that your, uh, your mega titans like um, Godzilla, Gojira, they are um, Daikaiju. Mm. You know? So not your regular... Not little, your run-of-the-mill monster. No, not your small one, not your wee beasties, not... not um, yeah. Not your uh, parasite, your host monster from the host. Yes, or... I rewatched that recently. Yeah, still I enjoyed it. It's sadder than what I remember, but yeah. oh, <laughs> <laughs> Bong Joon Ho's um, uh, yes. teammates from that going into other movies and stuff. Anyway, 
Daikaiju Anno Dracula 1999. And this is a, looking at the back, a Titan book, as many of his um, recent ones are. Now, to give you some background on Anno Dracula, this is... Um, Kim Newman is an author who has... is uh, He starts out as a... Uh, uh, a movie reviewer, particularly a genre movie reviewer, mm-hmm. uh, amongst other things, and he spirals out into the into the, becoming one of the world's great um, pastiche writers. There are some people whose names you can mention in that category: um, Philip Philippe Jose Farmer, um, Alan Moore, and Kevin O'Neill mm-hmm. um, with the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, uh, even Quint- Quentin Tarantino. As well, and Kim Newman is definitely um, a high-profile person to include in that list because his books are just really intricate, delightful reads. And you sort of get into this, and you think, "How many people can I spot in this? How many cameos?" <laughs> uh, and, and people could and have devoted entire treatises to how many different um, celebrities pop up in his books. Mm. Now. Anno Dracula is a, is a particular strand amongst his writing that has influenced everything else he's done. So much so that he's resurrected, and that's easy to do in the case of some of the characters, in other universes, like in the Warhammer books that he's written, spinning off of that, that particular set of games. Um, so the Daikaiju of the title, and this is why I played the Die Hard thing mm. uh, before, uh, the bloody big monster of the title is a, is a building in the shape of a ginormous reptilian creature. Okay. Basically, it's a building in the shape of Godzilla. <laughs> okay, so it is. All right. It is the, his, the, the headquarters of uh, Christina Light. Now she's a vampire, and that's the whole Anno Dracula premise. Link, right? Mm. Yeah. Uh, in this universe, the uh, Count Dracula came to England. As he did in the uh, the time of in the Victorian era, fighting um, Professor Van Helsing and all of that sort of thing. So the whole uh, Bram Stoker Dracula thing took place, but he, but Van Helsing lost, oh. and Dracula successfully wooed and married Queen Victoria. Interesting. So he became the crown bloody prince of the <laughs> British Empire, and vampirism spread across the world, and so. All of the other titles that spiralled out of that particular Anno Dracula original um, play off of that. Mm. So we've got um, uh, the uh, that that particular one set in the, in Victorian England, and then we move on to um, uh, the Bloody Red Baron, which is set during World War One. So um, um, uh, von Richthofen, the Red Baron, is actually a vampire in that uh, Dracula Cha 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 which riffs off this wonderful song that we played before, also published as Judgment of Tears. Uh, it's set in um, Anno Dracula 1959. It's set in Italy. Okay. And so that riffs off of um, Italian cinema. Ah, oh, fun. From that era. <laughs> it also has one of the one of the various Bonds, uh, the uh, 007s that skip through this long series. Gosh, okay. Um and Superman too. George Reeves is appearing. So there's in a it. lot of stuff woven in. So here. beautiful the 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 riffs on these things that the, he's he, and you have to be on your toes what reading this. Mm. Um, and it might be too much for some people. It's just too many things that you realise that you get the sense that's going on underneath. Yes. Uh, Johnny Alucard um, is set uh, later in history in Hollywood. So you, you feel, get the feeling that um, he really likes cinema, and he does, <laughs> and television, and and in pulp fiction. 
uh, 1,000 Monsters in, was um, set in the 1880s or 90s or something like that in Japan. Okay. And that's the book that uh, keys into this one. Yeah. Because in that they establish this uh, vampire colony in, um, in Tokyo that's off limits to the Japanese uh, and is where Western vampires and other vampires appear. I see. So, yeah, so it's riffing off some historical um, okay. elements yeah. there. Yeah. Um, he's also done a book called The Secrets of Drearcliff Grange which um, is a, a play upon uh, <laughs> uh, English girls' school literature and Centrinians mm. and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and Angels of Music, which is uh, another one uh, about Charlie's angels. If Charlie was the phantom of the opera <laughs> <laughs> and it was set in France. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. a lot of ifs. There's a lot of ifs, you know. And this one is again set in Tokyo, but in 1999. So okay. a whole millennium thing's going yep. on. Yep. It's New Year's Y2K. Eve. Yeah, it's all that kind of thing happening, and um, some some terrorists infiltrate um, the, uh, the 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 uh, the Daikaiju Tower. Mm. So again, we got this diehard thing okay. going on yep. there, um, on purpose, on, yep. absolutely on purpose. Uh, some of the characters in this I haven't quite figured out yet because I'm only halfway through. Right, I will. Um, it does for Japanese horror movies and samurai movies and yakuza cinema. Mm-hmm. So one of the uh, one of the cops in this is called Beat something or other. So it's mm-hmm. Beat Takeshi. Yep, yep. You know. I see. I see what we're doing here. Yeah, and and does that slow it down occasionally? Yeah, but you actually don't give a damn. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's vampires versus humans versus uh, Yoki, the, uh, the the Japanese monsters and um, spirits and stuff. Oh, and right, yeah. Okay. V- versus the Earth Defense Force, who are like the Godzilla fighters, and and the Diogenes Club, which is another one of um, uh, Kim Newman's um, uh, cameo uh, organizations from other fiction, the Diogenes sure. Club from Sherlock Holmes. Okay, so what, he's really just picking and choosing. Yeah, yeah, weaving that together in a in a in a beautiful, intricate, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes frustrating tapestry. Okay, so. Part of this is told through the eyes of um, a young, old, vampire schoolgirl samurai from that um, Drear Cliff, Drear Grange that I was talking about before, the, the school, mm-hmm. which I believe uh, Morticia Adams actually went to too when she was named Morticia Frump. Am I right there? I don't know. <laughs> so, but of course, sometimes you can't use the actual names of the characters. So you have to give enough clues so we know who they are, but not say. Yeah. Yeah. A Thousand Monsters, the previous book in this uh, series, um, had two versions of Tashiro Mifune's characters okay. <laughs> playing two different ones. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, he's doing my head in. So this this just is 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 actually continuing to do my head in. Uh, it's Daikaiju, it's Kim Newman's latest Anno Dracula <laughs> novel, uh, out now in Titan paperback. And it's just... Fun. Fun. Yeah. Fanged fun. And and also he's very good at the vampire procedural. Yeah. It he, sounds like you got to know your stuff about all these things to be able to effectively weave it into a story without it seeming ham-fisted. In a way, it's like reading... Um, uh, one of the books about uh, vampires that are more encyclopedic. Mm, mm. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, what, what's the? I'm, I'm I'm struggling to think. Oh, I know. <laughs> the nearest comparison is Moby Dick. Okay, which is half whale whaling procedural. Yes, and half actual story. Yes, and half philosophical journey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's all of that in here. 
you know, it, it's not the place to start reading the Anno Dracula series. Yeah, but you've liked all of these, I haven't you? I know you've covered them. them, and they're always a lot of fun. Yeah, so well, well done. A great Christmas <laughs> present to Kim Newman. Fans. Another win for Kim. Another win for Kim. Now, in light of the fact that it's got uh, Godzilla. 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 Um, I'm actually wondering, and this is just me speculating. <laughs> Because this this building is uh, is like very elaborate and highly technologically sophisticated, mm-hmm. and it's got a metal frame. I'm wondering if it's going to move and walk. That'd be cool. At the end of the the story, somehow, you know, why why not? <laughs> okay, so we're going to have a track here called Santa Claus versus Godzilla. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, where did this one come from? Three day threshold. Three day threshold. There you go. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, stacking Z's on zero G on three triple R FM. And here we are, the second hour of zero yes. G for today. Our original time slot, but we have been on air for the previous hour. Is that the gas that we've been breathing? <laughs> I don't know. I thought the oxygen was all destroyed when they took down Godzilla, Santa Claus versus. Godzilla there, which, um, and, and I've forgotten the name of the... Uh, it was from Three Day Threshold. Yes. Okay. <sighs> yes, so you are with... <laughs> Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And I played the podcast theme there because I wanted to give a shout out to our podcaster, mm. Kayla Larson, who is yes. has, has been doing um, great service for Zero G for, it must be about a year by now, yeah. or a bit more than a year. I think actually. so. Thank you very much. Yeah. Much appreciated. Mm. She makes us sound, <laughs> I was going to say good, but, you know. No, slightly less evil. <laughs> <laughs> and we've been meaning to talk to her about that. <laughs> G'day, Kayla. Uh, actually, she was telling me about um, Peaky Blinders. Um, oh, yes. Historical Detective Series. Have you watched that? I've, Peaky I've, Blinders. I've, I've sat through a couple of episodes um, <laughs> that Gail's been watching, I oh, yeah. think, from memory. It did look really good. Mm. Um, yeah, so anyway, um, I always get these recommendations. Yeah, yeah. There's so much good stuff out there, though. Mm. And speaking of, this is our, I, I won't call it the best of list no. for the year because I don't like best of. Um, I like best car, <laughs> but not best of. I, I think that um, I prefer to call them favourites. Yeah. It, it's inarguable. Exactly. And I think there are obviously some things that stick out that a lot of people really enjoyed in the year, but mm. I like to think of it as things I've liked, things that stick out and I remember. Um, I mean, there's plenty of really great content out there that maybe, you know, you enjoy but isn't something that you really took out of the year having loved. So, And that's why I appreciate the opportunity to bring Zero G to you for two hours because there's so much There's so much. Genre. And 2019 has been, I mean, it's so nice to wrap up another year of we've had some great stuff. We've talked about so many great books and TV shows and movies and all kind. Mm. We've had great interviews. Mm. It's been another jam-packed year, so it's always nice to kind of reflect on the year that was. I think I'd like to start with the horror movies of the year. Oh, and horror is having a real moment right oh, now, isn't it? Like yeah. A real horripilating moment. I think that – and this is the thing. I reckon there's a decent amount of overlap between some of our picks, but yes. let us – Go, go on. I'm not doing them in any particular order. Uh, maybe just genre order in this case. Uh, yep. So we're starting out with horror. Mm-hmm. Um, us. Yes. So I have a little sub list here of films that I have not watched in 2019 mm. to my discredit. Uh, and Us is at the top of that list because I actually haven't seen that yet. Jordan Peele. But I did love Get Out. So Yes. Yes. And there's actually two 
um, directors that I want to mention in this category because um, mm. they both had outstanding I previous the horror other movies. One. Yes. Ari Aster. Ari Aster, yeah. So I thought that um, Us was just a, a very, very fine, really creepy horror mm. movie with, mm. a, with a great take on the whole uh, doppelganger subgenre. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and I and I think he he's really realised the promise of, of Get mm. Out with this one. And I I know that horror is having a moment, but I also love that these are directors who have kind of stuck to a genre. Mm. Um, like they've had a success with the horror content, and they've gone, I'm going to do another horror, a different kind, you know, something they want to do. And I like that they've they've put out a couple of. Um, films in that in that area still as much literally biting social commentary from jordan peele mm. in, in us and they're not related really no. although i could maybe see them taking place in the same universe mm, mm, sure. <laughs> uh, and midsummer ariaster's yes. cult <laughs> expose following in the long footsteps of the wicker man really yes. And and in his own footsteps of hereditary, mm-hmm. he just really nailed it with Midsummer. It's all set in bright sunlight mostly. It's, it's such just... a great. Um, I love when horror movies do do that with sort of a unusual template mm. rather than just the old dark and spooky mansion or something. Yeah, in this case, it's uh, about a, a religious cult in mm. um, in Scandinavia, um, and it's just brutal. <laughs> <laughs> it's a brutal film. He says with a laugh, an airy light laugh. Um, I hope to see more from those guys in the mm. coming years. Did you see Zombieland 2? No. Oh. So, again, that's another one. There's a couple of things. Like I also still didn't manage to see The Dead Don't Die, the Jarmish zombie film, which you were ambivalent about from memory. Well, I thought about that. These are my – Zombieland 2 and The Dead Don't Die are my two mm. um, high zombie films very high. They've rotten quite a bit by now. <laughs> Films for the for the year: um, Zombieland Two, Double Tap, uh, mm. Ruben Fleischer. Ten years after the fact, mm. he did the first film. Got all the cast back, living and undead, and it was just fine. You know, they, he plays with the tropes knowingly. Yeah, uh, and it was it, such a surprise cult hit. I think in the first instance that I liked that they all came back because they've all got other stuff going on now. Mm. I liked that they all came back and revisited the franchise. I think yeah. that's nice sir and they even you know i mean it's attacking tropes in that <laughs> savaging tropes like the uh, oh look there's another bunch of survivors who are us mm, yeah. so i feel like i'm in jordan peele country here but there's this other doppelganger group at one stage and you think that is such an old cliche and yeah th- there it is and he it's makes like it well it's yeah it's a it's a skill to be able to pull that off <laughs> and look although i had trouble with jim jaramush's the dead don't die i would watch that again in a second for tilda swinton's Alien Samurai Scottish Undertaker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, is just, that was just awesome. And there's a, there is a deadpan sort mm. of rotting tongue-in-cheek oh, feeling yeah. to all of that. Absolutely. And they even actually, they actually, even actually f- sort of like shamble a bit in the direction of maybe some um, ecological content. Okay. But they don't really... Explore it too d- much. Explore it too much because they're actually kind of making fun of the trope a little. Yeah, okay. You know, so you know how dry Jim Jarmusch is. Yeah. yeah this is like mummified okay. humour. <laughs> now, here's one we've both seen and, and I included in the horror, mm. um, Bong Joon-ho's Parasite. Interesting that you put it in the horror section. Mm. I mean, it is horrific mm-hmm. for many reasons. I think 
One thing that I've realised, because I've been raving about this film for a long time, is that a lot of its marketing people think it's a horror movie, like in the realm of something like The Ring or something. I think or it's, The Host. Yes, or to do with the name and maybe his past um, stuff. But it's it's really not. I feel like it's more of a dark satire and there are uh, violent elements. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know where it quite sits. I think for me... It's standout, though. That's mm. probably my favourite film of the year. An excellent film to watch if you're any kind of shut-in. <laughs> <laughs> As Zero-G just basically is. <laughs> it's got – it's because I mentioned I've seen that again recently and it holds up yeah. on the second view. Uh-huh. I'd say see it at the f- cinema if you can. And I'm still not going to tell you much about it. No. Go in with as little knowledge as possible. Like, absolutely. If you don't know much about it now, please go in with that same mindset. Don't look up anything. Beautifully crafted, uh, um, some some really complicated uh, family relationships in this. Beautiful sounds soundtrack. The score is lovely. The social socio political commentary could not be more arch. Yeah, and the execution and the fine line between comedy and tragedy mm. is just oh, exquisite. Um, it, it also has a really strong, and I, and I had to think about this after I'd seen it a couple of after I'd seen it at the cinema, it's got a really strong sense of place. It does, yeah. And I think the juxtapositions that he's playing with um, on purpose mm. are just really well used. And I think not um, – I just think it's a really unique piece of filmmaking. Mm, mm. Uh, I think, yeah, it's one of the best things I've seen in a long time. So he's actually kicking goals quite a lot in um, in genre uh, with um, The Host and Snowpiercer. Mm. I did like Snowpiercer ultimately. I too. Yeah, I think Snowpiercer's a – a good concept, good film. Mm. Um, I think Parasite is his finest film. Yes. Um, I he think... did a vampire movie too. Have you seen that? Yes. Thirst? Thirst, yeah. Yeah, I haven't watched that. I didn't that. see it mm. first, but I have seen Thirst. <laughs> I was, is that worth a look? Or Yes, yeah. definitely. I heard it was definitely. good. Yeah. I think everything he's he's done is worth a look one mm-hmm. way or another. I think he's a really good, good filmmaker. Uh, and it's also, it's just got a US release, so there's a lot of um, oh, Oscar buzz and stuff. Tell me they're not going to do a... A remake, an American remake of it. Oh, oh don't even – no, I hope not. No, I, hope I feel not. horrified by that very thought. There, see how good he is? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks, kid. It's my job. <laughs> um, Give me a fil- one of your films. Oh, okay. So I think we're still in that realm. Mm-hmm. I Look, I put down here It Chapter 2. Mm-hmm. I don't think it is necessarily it. a great ad- – it's not all that. It's not it. I don't think it's a wonderful film. Um, however – I've included it because I think it was a nice rounding out of the adap- the book to movie adaptation. And I actually think in terms of adapting that book, which is a book that I really love, I've spoken about it many times, um, it, it didn't disappoint me as much as it could have. <laughs> I, I think there was definitely elements of it that I really liked and I think that it was fun. I think it was a bit – some of the scares were a bit silly – um, but overall, I was happy with it. I was happy I watched it. I enjoyed watching it. I think as a combo, I um, prefer Chapter 1, but I also prefer the that elements of the book anyway, so it could be that. Um, so I think that while Chapter 1, I still I think that that is a really fine film. I think 2 is, is fine. It's just, you know, regular uh, I did include it because I thought it was a nice rounding out of, of something I'd been hanging out to see the conclusion for. Which would you rate higher, It Chapter 2 or Doctor Sleep? 
that's a really hard question, it is, isn't it? I'm gonna say, oh, <laughs> I'm gonna say it chapter two, uh-huh. only because I think some of the notes that they hit at the end of Doctor Sleep felt weird to me more than it felt weird. Doctor Sleep did not make my yeah, it didn't make mine. Well, I guess that's your answer. Didn't make mine, so yeah. I must feel like it chapter two mm. more so. That's a lot of Stephen. I mean, this is uh, in the long grass as well on yeah uh, on Netflix. And I don't know. I think Pet Cemetery came out this year. Maybe it was last year. Um, yeah. So so I've included it for for that nostalgic reasons. Let's say. I, I'm also I'm very fond of Ken, Kenneth Brenner's um, Shakespearean biopic All Is True. Mm, yeah. Which is you know it suffered from being billed as a comedy. Yeah. Marketing sometimes lets these films down. I think. And it's actually a mystery. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, Kenneth Branagh seems to have been born to play William Shakespeare. <laughs> well, I think he thinks that himself, doesn't yeah, he? Of so. course he does. Good old Sir Ken. <laughs> um, uh, and, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, that's on my list as well. I think that, I mean, it's interesting. I don't think it's a film for everyone, but mm-hmm. I really, I thought it was very accomplished. Speaking of Kim Newman's uh, Anno Dracula pastiche, mm. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is that ultimately... Yes. Uh, adept pastiche. It is, and it's very much um, wish fulfillment as well. Mm. I think that it, it makes a very interesting commentary. And, you know, it's the film he set out to make. I think you can talk a lot about it should be – films about Hollywood should be about this or that, but he made, he made a film about these two protagonists and about this, and this is how he wanted to do it. And I think – He's achieved what he wanted to, personally. And there's so much going under the hood of the ever-cruising cars in that. Yeah. It's, just, it's like details upon detail upon yeah. detail. And, and I do wonder about that sometimes. I, I stop and I think, are we, are we um, mistaking it for like, you know, when you – artists who are just starting out often like to fill the canvas. Yes, yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and Tarantino certainly does that. Constantly, there's so much, so many Easter eggs in it that it's all chocolate. I do also. <laughs> it's one giant egg. Yes, I do think too that it was more restrained in some ways than some of his other films, which is a weird thing to say about Tarantino. Mm. I, I think it's a bit yeah. more. I think it's a bit more mature in its approach. To be honest, yeah. I think there were elements of it that were slower and more thoughtful. Um, and then, of course, you know, obviously the horrific violence at the end because he's still Tarantino. Yes. Perhaps, perhaps because I've I've seen so many recent dud King Arthur related movies. <laughs> yeah, it's really they don't have much luck with those, do they? Transformers: The Last Knight and King Arthur: Legend of the Sword. Ooh. I was really, really holding out for a, a great mm-hmm. Arthurian movie, and I saw it in the most unlikely of places. Joe Cornish as the kid who would be king. Yeah, you loved that one. I did. It's mm. got so much heart, and uh, and it just captures a lot of the whole ethos of the Arthurian legends and stuff. But at the same time, it's an updated one and it's so hard to pull off. I think it's interesting when these things kind of sit to the side because Mm. it's not like let's make a great King Arthur-based film. Mm. It sort of had less pressure so it had more freedom to do things right. I think so, maybe because they they took a step back. Mm. So for me, that was a a high point of the year. I think a lot of sequels. We've been talking about a lot of sequels and established franchises and stuff. I mean, that's all that they're churning out these days. (laughs) I didn't realise they were making another Ghostbusters. That's a thing. Um, I think as mentioned, in terms of unique content then, Knives Out, which we just talked about, that's on my list. 
Really? Um, Even though it is a pastiche of other... It is, but it's a unique story, yeah. I would I would argue. I, I would definitely place on my uh, most favourite films of the year, Vince Gilligan's El Camino. Ah, uh, yes. Breaking, Breaking Bad, Bad film. And Daniel Minahan's poignant Deadwood the movie, mm. both of which um, have streamed. So interesting, all the content we get now, isn't it? It's either TV show adaptations or reboots or sequels or... Mm-hmm. Mm, interesting. I can give you some some fairly original content here because mm. um, I did a stream of um, documentaries, reading, watching them at MIF this yes, year. Yes, that's right. Melbourne International Film Festival. So the, the first one of those that I really enjoyed and would put amongst my best docos of the year was mm. uh, Yang Sun and S. Leo Chiang's Our Time Machine. Yes. Which is about uh, a master puppet um, artisan. His father has um, Alzheimer's and he's trying to do an autobiographical puppet play and also um, racing against time so that his father will realise what he's actually doing and recognise it. Mm. And it's so sad and affecting. Mm. But also at the same time there's this absolutely gobstoppingly amazing puppetry. Yeah, right. And craftsmanship in it. And and I was really moved by that one. It knew which strings to tug. (laughs) Uh, um, it's a Chinese one, that one, actually. Doco, Chinese-American, I should say. Doco-related. I saw a really great film, a documentary called Machine mm-hmm. um, that came out this year. That was at MIF, and it's about it's all about artificial intelligence. Oh, that's on that's streaming, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I think it's actually out in the cinema now. Oh, okay. It's an Australian production. Um, it's a really, really interesting film, and it's a good discussion. It starts some good discussions, and I think that it's um, very interesting the kind of it looks at different uh, streams that are working parallel about AI and some of the ethical challenges and things like that. So that's something that I would I would recommend that was stuck out to me this year. What's it called again? Machine. It's oh. called Machine. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I also saw um, uh, Alexandra O'Philippe's Memory, The Origins of Alien, uh, Ooh, yes. 40th, 40th anniversary of Alien. This drilled down into the chestburster sequence. Mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. possibly the right way to put it. <laughs> um, and had elements in it that I hadn't heard about mm. and hadn't thought about. Yeah. So it's a really tight focus upon this one aspect of Alien, which illuminates the rest of Ridley Scott's arguably his masterwork yeah. in cinema, one of them at least. Um also, uh, a very meticulously detailed uh, political doco, historical one, obviously, Charles Ferguson's um, Watergate, which I think mm. was from 2018, but I saw it this year. Speaking of impeachment, yeah. Speaking of impeachment. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Yeah, really got to the nub of the matter. Okay. Um, I mean, as well, I've also got on here some of our um, superhero content. Joker. Yes. Oh, yes. Interesting. Um Todd Phillips's mm. film with Wacom Phoenix in that amazing performance. Um, did he get a Globe? I think he got a Globe nomination for that. Better get one. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. <laughs> um, I just, uh, I despise myself for liking it. <laughs> and I in no way, shape or form um, identify with Joker. Uh, I do feel a little bit sorry for the the actor who becomes Joker, mm, and I don't yes. mean Wacom Phoenix, although yeah. I do fear for his sanity yes. as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as Arthur, you often do. Yeah. Yes, Arthur. Um, yeah. Um, and, of course, we had Endgame this year. Well, this is the thing. For me, my favourite films of this year mm. were, were, the, were the 
the trilogy in a way because mm. this is the most incredible franchise I've ever seen. Mm-mm. I know that's a silly way to put it, but <laughs> that is, you know, they, they've done things here that it, Lord of the, even Lord of the Rings didn't manage to pull mm. off. Um, although in their free films, fine, but when they started with The Hobbit, and, you know. So. I mean, it's a, it's an affliction that a lot of franchises have when they try to branch out of it. It doesn't quite work. But we've done tw- they've done 20-odd films. Yeah, you know, exactly. It's a massive that, feat. The fact I think. that they work at all. And over a long period of time across different creative teams and different directors. Mm. Um, and you could argue that, you know, those directors brought different elements to the franchise. So I definitely like the diversity that we've seen throughout that time. Yeah. But then focusing on Avengers specifically to bring all of that together in such a way. I think it's it's something that's unprecedented and it should deserves to be mentioned. Well, I feel like I've been watching what I read in comic books, which is like 22 different type, different books. Mm, uh, come together in, in, as in a, a... In a crossover story. Yeah. And that's an amazing thing. Yeah. I never thought I'd be seeing that. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, DC fumbled the ball on theirs. Yeah, and I would love to see that succeed. I would really like to see. I mean, I know they're making a new film and they've got a lot more people on board. Mm. Because, um, I mean, I think it would be great to have some good, fun content out there. Uh, I don't want to see things fail. But, um, I mean, I think that template for Avengers is is really kind of what we go by. So it was uh, Avengers Endgame, the sequel to direct sequel to Infinity War, mm. Russo Brothers, and also the coda, the affecting coda mm. to it, uh, Spider-Man, Spider-Man Far, Far From, from Home. Home. Which I really enjoyed. Yeah, good it's idea. fun, love Jake Gyllenhaal, love anything he's doing. And it was a lovely follow-up. I think it was nice to have that to look forward to after the uh, emotions of Endgame. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, of course, Captain Marvel, which preceded Endgame. Yes. Uh, Anna Boden and Ryan Flex film with Brie Larson. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and the cat <laughs> and the flurkin. Yes. And, and, and a young Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. Which yeah. I haven't heard too many people talk about, but that really, really – it showed me that you could do that sort of euphoning technology. Yeah, yeah. Or, Have you seen The Irishman? No, no. I haven't watched that I, yet. I, I'm sick to death of the mobster cinematic universe. Oh, really? I'm absolutely not. But I just haven't had a chance to watch it yet. <laughs> they dominated uh, the, the screens in the 1970s and I, I just... And somewhat the 90s, yeah, but... I'm joking. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think I'm just riffing off Martin Scorsese's. Uh... <laughs> oh, uh, yes, I, I forgot about our personal yeah. beef with him, Mr. Pot, Miss Meet, Mr. Kettle. Yes, yeah, well, which yeah. actually sound like Tarantino movie fans from uh, characters from Reservoir Dogs or something like that. And like, I love Scorsese. He's like, he I was one too. of my first like directors that I really loved. His his documentaries have introduced me to so much fine cinema. Yeah. And I think that anyway, we, we digress. We're, we're but um, so anyway, for me, um, if I had to say my my favourite film of the year, it would be Endgame because mm. that just it just annihilated me. Because it's more than just a film for you as well. Yeah. In like you know, in the way that, and I think it was exciting to sit down in the screening and think about how it was the culmination of a lot of work and a lot of people's effort and a lot of creative energy coming together. I don't know. It was special. It was. And it was silly to say, but it was. Yeah, and of course um, it featured the, the, the death of Iron Man, Tony Stark. Um, and, and it done beautifully. Done incredibly well. You know, with possibly one of the great lines of cinema. Mm. Like, you know. So good. Yeah. I still prefer Infinity War yeah. as a film itself. Mm-hmm. 
Um, not because I think Endgame's a poor film, but just because I like enjoy enjoyed and liked Infinity War more. And Josh Brolin got a little bit more to do in the first one. He did. And he and, was great to see. And all of those, that kind of quest energy, you yeah. know, I've got to do this, that and the other and different get, crews of people working together. I really enjoy that stuff. Um, but I always, like, I enjoy the first Kill Bill more. I liked, yeah, so mm. maybe it's just the first. I liked It Chapter One. I haven't actually sat down and watched um, Infinity War and Endgame back to back yet. Mm, that'd be a bit much, I think, I think in it, terms of the feels. I, I'll let you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I watch one one day and one the next. Yeah, yeah. But not actually at the same, on the same day. I, I think... Um, as I said before, Parasite's my number one of the year. So, okay. Yeah. All right. So we're going to have a track here from Iron Man 3 soundtrack album, um, track 15 on the album, which is Can You Dig It? And Iron Man 3 actually is a Christmas movie. Is it? Yeah, it is. I don't remember 3. Shane, Shane Black's um, controversial take uh, on Iron Man, but I loved it. I okay. just couldn't get enough of it. Hi, I'm Lindsay Morgan. And I'm Reg Morgan. Uh, no, we're actually Colin and Cameron Cairns. Writers, directors of 100 Bloody Acres, and you're listening to Zero G. They're not psycho killers. They're just community radio broadcasters. Is that all right? <laughs> <laughs> Bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Don't put us in boxes. Because <laughs> we'll just break them out with our, our uh, five-centimetre punch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, remember that? Good Kill Bill ref. Hmm. Um... Iron Man 3. Yes. Can you, Can dig, you it? dig it? Brian Tyler. You're listening to Zero G. <laughs> Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. Here in our second hour of our Happy Horror Days special. And I know we wanted to start digging into the latest of the Star Wars, mm-hmm. but I did just want to very, very, very quickly shout out a couple of podcasts that I've enjoyed this year because mm-hmm. it's been a big, good year for podcasts uh, um, and there's been a bit of sort of investigative, non-fiction-y type ones that have come out. Uh, that I kind of wanted to just touch on quickly um, that I've enjoyed and if you want to check those out. So The Dropout, which is about Elizabeth Holmes, who was the CEO of Theranos, the um, defunct and uh, <laughs> like scandalously completely fake um, blood testing company. And that is a very, very interesting podcast. There's also a book called Bad Blood, which I've read and enjoyed, and there's also a documentary. Uh, Catch and Kill is another one that I've just started listening to, but thus far is very good. It's by Ronan Farrow, who's also written a book by the same name, and it talks a bit about the Weinstein uh, trial, the Weinstein kind of stuff, and about men in power and the kinds of things they can buy to cover themselves up. It's a very interesting podcast, and it involves a lot of interviews with actual people who are involved. Um, obviously just a warning as well. Obviously it contains content that, um, just, yeah, just be warned around that if, if you feel like that's going to be affect you. Uh, Dolly Parton's America is another one. Have you heard much about that? It's very fun. It's very, very fun. It includes some, uh, tidbits from Dolly herself and it talks a little bit about her, um, music and her film stuff and kind of just her effect on, um, I don't know, the zeitgeist in America and how she's beloved, um, by both sides. Yes, she's, and yeah. it talks a bit about that, about how her appeal and kind of what the key to her broad appeal is and, and how she sustained that over many years. Uh, Land of the Giants is sort of a technology podcast, which is about Amazon. talks a little bit about um, sort of the rise of Amazon and uh, some of the more controversial elements of Amazon as well. It's from a more technological perspective, but it's still quite interesting. 
And the last one, which mm, is was interesting to listen to. I don't think it's the most amazing podcast in the world, but it's The Mysterious Mr. Epstein. Again, unfortunately, it's another one about um, kind of, yeah, Jeffrey Epstein and kind of the events and how he got as far as he did in terms of before any there were any repercussions. So that's another heavy one, but uh, interesting. And I think it's good to be informed about some of these things. Uh, so yeah, those are some of my podcast recommendations. Sorry, not they're not very um, <laughs> upbeat. Where do you get the time? But I do it on my commute. Uh, okay. Yeah, and they're good for washing up. While you're washing up, <laughs> for washing up. And while you, while you're washing up, listen to a little podcast. And mm. a lot of them are discrete seasons, so they might have say five or six episodes. Compared, that you can smash through. Compared to that, I hardly listen. The, uh, most podcasts I listen to, I'm time shifting from something else. Yeah, yeah. You know, like uh, Late Night Live or um, uh, The Science Show, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think. Uh, but, I mean, I can give you one that, that, that is a pure podcast. Yeah. Um, Alan Alder's Clear and Vivid. Oh, I like him. He's been working with um, a centre for science communicators. Ah, uh, okay. Because he's, he's, he's into that quite yes, a bit. And yeah. So he's been. I know that about him. Uh, interviewing people just off off the back mm-hmm. of that mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. all sorts of interviews all sorts of people and they are indeed clear and vivid about communication mm. um, I, I can't I recommend that highly enough and it's Alan Alder yeah I as mean as well he's got a great radio voice he's yeah I love Alan Alder early days of watching MASH yeah. um, they even do a reunion on there for the, oh, really? the MASH cast yeah. that's pretty cool um, yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of other ones out there, but those are just some of the ones that stuck out as being particularly high quality. Mm. And now? Yes, it's time. Star Wars. Is, we it, have is it the, the Rise of Skywalker or yes, Rise of Skywalker? the Rise. The Rise. So we've grammatically <laughs> operational. Accurate here, yes. Now we've been, we've been waxing lyrical about um, John Favreau's The Mandalorian mm-hmm, for quite mm-hmm, a bit. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. off to the main. And I thought that that exempted me from actually going to see a Star Wars movie. I thought, if I love The Mandalorian, I'm allowed not to go and see the next Star Wars movie. Because <laughs> I, I have not had... Uh, great experiences with Star Wars movies. Well, I don't think you're alone there, really. <laughs> Not for a very long time. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I mean, the last one I hugely enjoyed was uh, Rogue One, and that's one yes. of the standalone ones. Yep. And the last mainstream one that I really liked was um, Empire, <laughs> of the Jedi, man. Empire Strikes Back. Oh, wow. Okay, so we're going even further. Going even further. So, yeah, we went, we trotted off to see that. Um, I saw it in... Uh, um, IMAX, uh, sorry, VMAX. Ah, uh, yes. Um, and so you really do want to see this one on a big screen if you're mm. going to see it. Is it on an IMAX? I think it would be. Must be. Yeah. Surely. 3D at IMAX? I don't know. No, I don't think it'd be 3D, but let's take So one. here we are in uh, that long time ago, far, far away galaxy. We get a new crawl. Yeah. At the it's s- on at IMAX and yes, it's on in 3D. Ah. We get a, it probably looked pretty good in 3D. We've got a new crawl at the start of the uh, the movie that gives away one of the major plot points of this new movie straight up front, so I'm not going to do it for you. Yes. Um, which I thought was really odd. Why tell us? Were they afraid it was going to leak? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had a bunch of problems with um, The Last Jedi, which we won't go into here. Yes, we don't have enough time for that debate yet. I put it, I put <laughs> it, up, on, I put it up on the um, Zero-G Facebook page, I think. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, a whole lot of, lot of things we're not going to go into. This is J.J. Abrams um, directing this one, also co-writing it with Chris Terrio, mm. who did the screenplay for, wait for it, Batman versus Superman, oh. Justice. Uh, Yuck. Yuck. <laughs> and he also co-wrote Justice League. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> so I'm surprised he got work after that. 
So here he is working with J.J. Uh, Abrams here. Mm. Now, it was like J- Abrams did um, The Force Awakens, mm-hmm. then um, uh, the, our Ryan Johnson did mm. uh, Last, Last Jedi, Jedi, and then J.J.'s back. Back for this one. Mm. Okay. Uh, all right. It's um, it's a film. <laughs> <laughs> it's I, I think there's a distinction if you're viewing it as – what do you think of it as a Star Wars film mm-hmm. and what do you think of it as a film? Mm. Because I think as a film, as a piece of cinema, it's not very good mm. in terms of how it's constructed and how it does things. I think it's poor. Um, but when you look at it through the lens of a Star Wars film, I think it becomes more complicated. Mm. <laughs> um the fan service is strong in My this God. one. It's nothing but... It's like someone plucked a piece of fan fiction off the internet and then put it on screen. Uh, and unfortunately, I felt a lot of that fan service is like um, a cursory ticking off of the Stations of the Cross. Yeah. Or, since it's Christmas or, or the X-Wing. It felt very... Um, yeah, procedural yeah. almost. Characters who never got to do much in the movies, though they might be fondly remembered because of considerable presence in the mostly now non-canon Star Wars expanded universe. I mean, if you blinked, you'd certainly miss a certain rebel fighter pilot who I actually liked. As I a really enjoyed that one. That's probably yeah. the fan service thing. I was like, <laughs> but it's a blink. Yeah, it's very it? quick. Very blink. Yeah, yeah, think, yeah, very yeah, quick. yeah. Give him, for God's sake, give the man, give the man more to do. But I think that was the whole point, though, is that. If you're looking at it from a straight-up perspective, that kind of cameo makes sense. You know, in the last season of a television series, if this were that, Mm. you would get uh, a whole episode devoted to that character. Oh, but there's no time for that because we've got our MacGuffin to worry about. (laughs) There's a a hell of a lot of time spent in this movie um, wrangling which side of the force some people are going to fall upon, Mm. dark or light. But that was kind of the core um, conundrum. That was pitched to it be was. the centre of this film. I know, and, and and I'm just so bored of it. <laughs> I mean, I'm fine. <sighs> yeah, I, it's hard to know what to say because I don't really want to give too much away. That's what I'm trying not to. I think we want to be a bit careful about that. The, the plot essentially is that the uh, the resistance, who were the New Republic after the fall of the Empire, are now having further troubles. Mm-hmm. The First Order has. Um, arisen that's like stormtrooper re- remnants of the of the of the old empire. Mm-hmm. Um, they got them on the. Um, they actually did a, a hell of a lot of damage to the New Republic in yep. Last Jedi, uh, and now they've um, now they've uh, resurged again, and it looks like they might actually win. Mm. You know, so the the very small remnants of the resistance that we saw at the end of Last Jedi, yeah, um, seem to have tooled up a little bit more after that. Yeah, um, but they're still finding it really hard to defeat the, the, the organised First Order. That's pretty much. The point. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's some stuff. You know, you're going to get Ray's um, personal journey continuing with Kylo yeah. Ren, but I actually felt like that had very little to do with the actual fight. And there's a Did little you... Doi Sex Machina kind of stuff where I'm like. She's pretty – like we've made her conveniently powerful. I believe, and looking at this, that um, they've had one eye upon the other Disney franchise, mm. upon the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and saying, you know what, our Jedi are just pretty puny compared to some of those heroes. I do think you're right, though, is that, that when it push comes to shove, it is a little bit like what were we working up for. Mm. Mm. And I, I also felt like um, they didn't really – work out where they were going at the start of oh, this trilogy. There's no the, – the narrative 
propulsion is nonsensical yeah. at best. Yeah. Like the, the quest of what we're meant to be doing and why it's so important is so unclear. Um, and I, I mean, that kind of stuff bothers me because I get that I'm here for, I'm, I understand that sometimes you need to do things narratively to get the scenes you want. Mm-hmm. But to a point, I think you need to have a fairly decent thread throughout a film to be able to go on that journey. Now, I've always had trouble with um, Star Wars actually being about war in mm. space because it's, it's always been pretty basic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I mean, you run, run something like The Expanse alongside this or Babylon 5. Yeah, sure. Far more intricate. Uh, you know, it wasn't complex. It was complex. It wasn't new. It was not nuanced. No. And I think J.J. Abrams' take on Star Wars is not nuanced. It's like the difference between Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets and Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, <laughs> in my opinion. One of the things I had big trouble with, and, and I can probably talk about this because it's not a big spoiler. Sure. Um, with in Last Jedi was that they suddenly invented this um, hyperspace ram ta- tactic, light speed tactic. <laughs> it was that? only one small facet of the film. I know, but the problem is that you introduce that, it's like introducing uh, long range teleportation in Star Trek. It changes mm. the entire mix of the, I think, the universe. Again, this is, I think there's this core conundrum between looking at these films as films and the quality of them as a film and the quality of them as how they fit into the Star sure. Wars universe. Where I was going with that is I was going to say there's a line in this film mm. where they actually address that. They give you a throwaway line that says why they're not using that that tactic now. Why? Oh, yeah. yeah At yeah, the start. Yeah. I think it's uh, The Hobbit actually um, tells us in it. Uh, Dominal uh, Morning. Oh, yeah. Here's <laughs> so, one line. Here's one line. His, why, do, why is he even there? <laughs> yeah, he says, why don't we use? Blah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah, they yeah. say, oh, it was one in a million. Yeah, okay. So, I missed that completely. Yeah. But well, they put that they put that in there for you. <laughs> for me, obviously. But you know what? They should have had that line in the other film. Okay. Let's not yeah, get so. sidetracked with Last Jedi so, anyway, stuff. But so, yes. Uh, I also thought they managed to get to the heart of the mm. Star Wars universe in this. It does have heart. Um there's a couple of moments mm. where I couldn't quite work out whether I was actually feeling a thrill that they'd, <laughs> they'd done something. Sure, yeah. Or whether I was just relieved that it was over. <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think there so was... I'm conflicted. I was ready for some... You know, there's bits where you're like on the edge of your seat or you feel carried by the momentum so you can overlook any other weaknesses of a film. Mm. And, I mean, that happens to me a lot. Like, it's very easy to turn my opinion on something by just doing an exciting action scene. Like, I'm very basic in that way. But that didn't happen to me here. Speaking of carrying, uh, Carrie Fisher, of course, this is her last um, I will say they did that very artfully. I thought so too. I think that piecing that together with what they had and kind of fitting it in, it, it... didn't you couldn't see the stitches? I think that was fine. That said, that said, remember in the first film they killed off Han Solo. Mm. In the second film they killed off Luke Skywalker. Mm. Says he massive spoilers. Oh look, you've had time. You've all had time. And we all know Carrie Fisher has died. Yes. So you know that they're pretty much going to. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, They'll have to deal with, with that, that somehow. So that's isn't that a bit weird? Like you're dropping out one of the major characters from each. Well, it, it would make days. more sense if it all happened in early on in, you know, leaving the legacy of the new characters. Passing the torch. Yeah, but there's we're done. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it is odd. But I also think that look, it's, yeah, look, these, there's the, nothing around this, that. This last trilogy, oh, possibly not the last trilogy. <laughs> Who knows? Seven it, the end. It's definitely better than the first, uh, the, sorry, the prequel trilogy. 
Oh, yeah, undoubtedly. Easily. Easily. Absolutely. In in terms of um, of how it's made and how it's put together. Story. It does have some interesting new characters. Um, Does it? Yeah, I think my favourite actually is Rose, the uh, the technician. Look, she's not my favourite. And we don't want to get into that because no, I feel because like everyone's going to have their own. She's not her. She's not people's favorite for sometimes inappropriate reasons. But um, she, yeah, I found her quite dull to be honest. No, okay. But um, what did you like about her character? Um, the fact that she's actually somebody who does stuff. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's not a fighter pilot. Yeah, per sure. Se. She can fix things. Yeah, you know. useful. Like an yeah, actual she's, useful. Character. She's actually a useful. No, person. I pay that. I think. I know. I think that's fair. Um, um, I mean, my favorite is Poe. Probably. He's got some moves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Ray just seems too British. <laughs> so, Whoa. <laughs> obviously, obviously Brexit <laughs> spiralled these characters. You know, and then there's Richard E. Grant. Oh, man. I, yeah. The latest British twonk. I love Richard E. Grant. I, I, I sound like I'm being um, racist there, actually. I should walk that back a bit because <laughs> we star walk things back a, a little bit. No, but, you know, it was a, it's like the, um, the, the, the British actor who plays the villain. Mm. You know, he's playing a, mm. an admiral or something like that. God, he's got the face for it, though. Yeah. Um, he does, actually. He's like he's Peter Cushing, Richard E. Grant. They've got that well, he, angled chisel Rogue face. One, it was um, our mate. Oh, no, yeah, I'm having yeah. a mind blank. <gasps> ben Mendelsohn. Mendelsohn. Yeah. He's Australian. Ben Ubiquitous <laughs> Mendelsohn. Um, yeah, I mean, I think overall, what was your impression? <sighs> Um, look, I did get some of those moments where I thought, oh, that reminds me of, of, of some of the best moments of the mm. original Star Wars. And I'm not, I'm not a traditionalist. I don't have to have, uh, be exactly like the first movie and, mm. and cloned, although that's a thing in Star Wars. Well, because he did that for The Force Awakens. He's done. <laughs> I am. Uh, speaking of clones, I, the, the, the consistent reusing of precisely the same plots. Yeah. The same beats. Uh, another big fleet to battle, another Death Star. Death Star elements, uh, you know, just those basic touchstones. Mm. They've become – I can understand where things like lightsabers have become iconic, mm. you know, and they really do in this. Occasionally they, they rise to the surface, which is good when you've got a water world, which they're dealing with in this film, mm. um, to, to give you some icon, icon, iconography and some mythology that does touch you a, a mm. bit. You know, I do think, oh, you know, that uh, that takes me back – to the little special feeling that I had when I watched yeah. A New Hope. There like are, the so nostalgia there elements. Yeah. And he's he's hitting those notes pretty hard. Like there were some parts where I was like, you are going all in on this nostalgia emotion pull. Look, there's no way it's going to make my uh, favourite films of the year list. No. No, no, no way at all. Um it lost its way for a portion as well, which yeah, was a bit disappointing. We, yeah, maybe because they didn't have the right MacGuffin to lead them. Well, exactly. Oh, gosh. <laughs> of the many MacGuffins they had the many floating MacGuffins. about. It's disappointing in a way because I wanted to have more fun. Like I was ready for – like I like The Mandalorian. I'm happy. I love that kind of style, same as Rogue One. But I was ready to go back to kind of our core franchise and enjoy. Yeah, give me a shot you know? of it. Yeah. Like – have have some big high notes for me to really go with and I just didn't feel that as much here. And without giving anything away, because we've already said that they do revisit some old characters yeah. in, in this context of this film as their, as their fan service, there is, a I feel, a major, major misstep in bringing back one particular character. Oh, okay, let's discuss that off air. <laughs> yes, yeah. I thought that, well, I, I just thought that that was... Stuck out for you? Stuck out as a bad point for the film. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I can't give it a – look, I, I know that 
this is somebody else's um, Ewok parade. Mm. I don't necessarily want to rain on it um, because there have been times when I've been a pretty damn keen Star Wars fan along the way. Well, and that's the thing. I think one thing we've found is uh, with this trilogy at least, there's so many different opinions and people come to these films. And, I mean, just, yeah, hey, I we, don't want to. We we bring to the uh, circular couch in the Millennium Falcon what we bring ourselves. Yeah. Uh, and for my part, I can't give this uh, in the zero G rating. I can't give it a hell yeah mm. uh, or even a rrr, rrr, yeah. That's I, pretty I'd, good. I'd give it a, um, a sort of a. Look, it, it depends on how you're travelling, basically. Mm. I'd sort of give it a, yeah, maybe. It was safe. It played a lot of things too safe, I think. It was bland too, in parts. It was, and that's it. And I think maybe The Last Jedi took too many risks, which is also why it's so oh, many. But there's something about The Last Jedi I loved mm. that they uh, said that Ray was a, um, a nobody. Mm, mm. And I really... Well, we talked about that when we did the film, I think, yeah, I, when we covered I, I it. I loved that. I thought that takes us out of that whole eugenics sort of thingy, mm. midichlorians and that. And I really, really loved that. And I, I hoped and prayed mm, that it would be that they would keep with that. Yeah. Whether or not they did that or not, I'm not going to tell you. I think Last Jedi is probably one of the only films we've ever disagreed on. Yeah. I think. I'm actually thought, think, walking back some things on it now. I, mean, I still don't like lots of bits of it. Yeah, but. which I think is I think it's that thing where you come into it. I think there's things I'm more willing to forgive. So what do you give it? The uh, this new this one. Ah, uh, look, I didn't hate it. I enjoyed it fine. I think I'm being a little harsh on it in hindsight. Yeah. I don't think it's a well-made film. Mm. I think that the narrative was poor. I think it focused too much on fan service. Some of that fan service I enjoyed. Um, uh, medium, mm. medium rare. <laughs> <laughs> okay, not well done. Medium. So, rare. so for you, um, Skywalker didn't rise. Not quite. They no. must have opened kind the, of open the oven too soon. <laughs> Sat up, fell down. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, it's disappointing though. I really wanted to come out with a bang and enjoy this. Yeah, I wonder which um, Jedi Knight would make a good Avenger. <laughs> crossing uh, things there. Well, that's that's it. That's about it for zero G. Yeah, our um, two out. Gosh, it has flown. It romped through. Um, I'll be I'll be on my lonesome for next week's two hour show. Indeed. Uh, and thank you, Megan, for your excellent co-pilotage for 2019. It's been an honour. <laughs> it's been no, it's been a great year. I think we've had a lot of fun on so zero G. I know. And 2020, even looking at stuff coming up, where there's going to be no rest for the wicked. We're going to have plenty to talk about. Not if Donald Trump has anything to say about it. <sighs> well. We'll see, we'll see you aboard Sea Lab 2020 in the new year. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. And up next is Holly Alexander in Joe Brunetic's um, Astral Glamour. And what are we going to go out with today? Uh, oh, I haven't told you. No. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm on standby here. Okay. Well, normally we'd play a Bowie track because we've been playing Bowie tracks every week, but um, I don't think we'll... Oh, yes. No, I know what we're playing. What are we playing? Star Wars track. We are playing Star Wars track. Yes. Which one? <laughs> the Wookiee one. The Wookiee one. What can you get a Wookiee for Christmas when he already owns a comb? From Christmas in the Stars, the Star Wars <laughs> Christmas album. So until next time, mind how you travel, folks. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast at Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.